So, that is why we do RAIN. That's why we're involved in this uh, important ministry in the life of our city. Um, and we are one of those 13 congregations that serves as a host congregation. And uh, we do so gladly and willingly. Um, but it is a lot of work. And um, anybody that would be interested in volunteering with us, uh, we would love to have you be a part of that. Again, you can talk with Tim, who's one of our ushers today. Uh, you can also talk with myself, and there's several other volunteers that have done it before if you want to know what it's involved. Uh, you can be hands-on. You can be there while uh, some of the families are interacting uh, in the evening. You can do things behind the scenes. You can do laundry. You can help set up. You can make meals, those kinds of things. Uh, lots of different ways to be involved. And uh, we're going to continue. We just signed up again uh, earlier in the summer. Uh, we signed on again to do this for another three years. Uh, so we'll be doing this for a while, and uh, we really look at this as one of the significant ways that we partner with the city of Rochester. So, so hopefully that uh, explains a little bit about why we do what we do. Today I'd like to uh, turn our attention to our series, Back to Basics. And um, today, as I said already... We're going to be looking at God's grace. One of the verses that I would love to have you think about as we work through and talk through this today is 2 Peter 3, 18. And it says this, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The idea being that God's grace is something that we both, well, that we receive. It's something that we have to extend to ourselves, in some cases, to receive it. And then it's also something that we give out and extend to others. Peter put it as, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Over in the Gospel of John... It says this in the first chapter, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of His one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The question for us this morning is, what is grace? Some of you will think of some phrases that you have heard before. The idea behind grace is something called God's unmerited favor. Something that God does for us on our behalf, not because we deserve it, but because it's just what He wants to do for us. It's just because He loves us. It's His favor that He extends towards His people. Some of you will remember the phrase, or, or no doubt think of the phrase, uh, the two sides of the coin of grace and mercy, right? Uh, mercy being not getting what I deserve. Grace being getting something that I don't deserve. Those are kind of often put together in the same phraseologies, if you think about that. We need to think about grace, I think, a little bit like an attribute of God, but our life group was talking about this on Friday night, um, grace is, is it's hard to call it an attribute because in some cases, when we think about attributes, we think about things that are just uh, intrinsic to who we are. 
And some of those we've already talked about, like God is love. Like, it's just an intrinsic thing that we know that God is love, or God, or we would say God is omniscient. In other words, he's all-knowing, right? Or he's omnipresent. He can be everywhere, anytime, he's outside of time, all that sort of thing. There are things that are intrinsic to who God is, but then there are attributes that we ascribe to God that may not necessarily be intrinsic, but they're just part of how he relates to us. And God's grace would kind of fall into that kind of a category. We wouldn't really understand that God is even gracious unless we understood that that's how he relates in love to his people. And so there are many verses throughout the Bible, over 130 of them if you want to look it up, uh, that talk about God being gracious or uh, he is full of grace, this idea. And I said in the midweek email, if you read that, that there's also many other ways that the Bible portrays God as gracious, particularly in the Old Testament. We read about his grace in the Old Testament through the idea of his favor. And you could read about that in Genesis with Noah, for instance. Noah found favor with God. And that's why God used him and his family to spare him and and on the ark and that sort of thing. Moses found favor with God. These are expressions of the way people in the Old Testament would experience God's grace. In the New Testament, we put that word to it and we begin to understand that that was how we began to know God. He is gracious to us. I tried to come up with a story. I wanted to find a story that related what it meant to uh, experience God's grace so that we could kind of put it together. And I came across this wonderful story that I really couldn't improve upon. So I'm going to quote a story from the guy. His name is Michael Bronson. And he wrote a book uh, that just had many, many different stories of God's grace in action. See if this doesn't resonate with you a little bit when you read, when you hear this. The boy stands defiantly with his head cocked and his hands clenched. Go ahead, give it to me. I can take it. The principal looks down at the young rebel. How many times have you been here? The child sneers rebelliously. Apparently not enough. The principal gives the boy a look, a strange look, and he says, You've been punished each time, have you not? Yeah, I've been punished, if that's what you want to call it. He throws out his small chest and says, Go ahead, I can take whatever you can dish out. I always have. Carefully studying the boy's face, the principal says, Are there any thoughts of punishment when you break these rules? Nope. I do whatever I want. Ain't nothing you people going to do to me, neither. The principal looks over at the teacher who is sitting nearby and asks, what did he do this time? Fighting. He took Tommy and shoved his face in the sandbox. The principal turns to the boy and he asks, why? What did Tommy do to you? Nothing. I didn't like the way he was looking at me. Just like I don't like the way you're looking at me now. In fact, if I thought I could do it, I'd shove your face into something too. The teacher stiffens and starts to rise. But a quick look from the principal stops him. He contemplates the child for a moment and then quietly says, Today, my young student, 
is the day you will learn about grace. Grace? Isn't that what you old people do before you eat a meal? I don't need any of your stinking grace. Oh, but you do, says the principal. And after studying the boy's face, he whispers, Oh yes, you truly do need grace. The boy glared at the principal as he continued, Grace, in its short definition, is unmerited favor. You can't earn grace, my child. Grace is a gift, and it's always freely given. Grace means you will not be getting what you so richly deserve. The boy looks puzzled. You're not going to whoop me? You're just going to let me walk? The principal looks down at the unyielding child and says, Yes, I am going to let you walk. The boy studies the face of the principal and says, No punishment at all? You're not going to punish me even though I socked Tommy and shoved his face in the sandbox? Oh, there has to be punishment. What you did was wrong, and there will always be consequences for our actions. There will be punishment. Grace is not an excuse for doing wrong. I knew it, sneers the boy. Holding out his hands, he says, let's get on with it. The principal nods toward the teacher and says, bring me that belt. The teacher presents the belt to the principal. He carefully folds it in two and hands it back to the teacher. He looks at the child and says, I want you to count the blows. The principal slides out from behind his desk and walks over to the child. The child stands defiantly with his hands outstretched. The principal gently moves the child's expectant hands down to his sides. Turning to the teacher, the principal stretches out his own hands and quietly says, Begin. The belt slaps against the principal's outstretched hands. Crack! The boy jumps. Shock registers across his face. He whispers, crack, two, his voice raises an octave, crack, three, he is unable to believe this, crack, four, big tears well up in his eyes of the young rebel, okay, stop, that's enough, stop, crack, the belt continues to come down on the principal's swollen hands, crack, the child flinches with each blow, Tears start streaming down the child's face. Crack! Crack! No, please! The former rebel begs. Stop! I'm the one who did it! I'm the one who deserves the punishment! Stop! Please stop! The boy sobs. Still the blows come. Crack! Crack! Finally, it is over. The principal, with sweat glistening down his forehead, turns to the former rebel and he kneels down and carefully cradling the child's face with his swollen hands the principal says softly this my boy is grace can anybody remember a time in their life where you experienced grace
No other reason. You deserved whatever it was. Sadly, I think in our lifetime, some, many haven't had the chance to experience that kind of grace in our lives. Life is tough. And we go through a lot of stuff and we make a lot of mistakes and there are very few people willing to stand in the gap for us. Because we live in a world, especially in an American culture, where we kind of believe that you get what's coming to you, right? You kind of take responsibility for your own stuff. And so the idea of grace, the idea that you would step into the gap for somebody else, that's a hard one to wrap our minds around. So it's hard sometimes to really fully embrace what Jesus did for us. Because in some ways, we don't fully recognize our need for grace. And therein lies the idea that if we didn't need it, we might not know it exists. Is it an attribute of God, or is it just part of how He relates to us? Grace exists because of our need for it. In our tradition, the Free Methodist Church, what we might call a Wesleyan tradition, we have this idea formed by John Wesley of something called the three-in-one kind of grace. And the three-in-one kind of grace says, yes, there is something called God's grace, but there are three different ways that God expresses that grace to us. The idea of the three-in-one is that there's a grace that precedes us, it goes before us, There's a grace that justifies us, and there's a grace that sanctifies us. And God is intimately involved in all parts of that journey. And theologically and doctrinally, it makes us, as Free Methodists and Wesleyans, distinct from our Reformed brothers and from other doctrines that are out there that would say that we aren't innately sinful at birth. This idea of grace and the idea of prevenient grace, the grace that goes before us, makes us unique. I won't give you a big theological lesson today, but I want you to understand that Scripture talks about all of these different kinds of grace, the ways that God interacts with us and through us. Let's just talk briefly about this idea of prevenient grace. Grace. It is the grace that goes before, the grace that precedes us. Because we believe that Adam sinned, Adam and Eve sinned, and therefore all have sinned, and therefore we are born into that sinfulness, because we believe that, we have to believe that somehow there's a way back to God that we can't, in and of our own sinful nature, come to on our own. That is the idea of God's prevenient grace. We could look at some verses in the Old Testament, like Psalm 23, 6, right? Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's this idea that I'm with you. I'm going to be following you everywhere you go. If you were to read over in Psalm 139, you would read David's kind of declaration of where can I go in Psalm 139, 7 through 10? Where can I go to get away from you, God? 
If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I go down to the depths, you're there. If I try to go to the far reaches of the earth, even there you will find me. Your loving hand will guide me. We can't go anywhere without God pursuing us and being with us. In John, the Gospel according to John, Jesus is recorded as saying that in John 6.44, unless God draws you unto me, you can't find me. You can read it. It's this idea that God is the one that goes before us and makes our way clear. Over in 1 John, written by the same author in 4 and 19, he would say this, um, this is how we know God loved us. He first loved us, right? This is how we know love, that He first loved us. This idea of prevenient grace. Dr. Timothy Tennant, who is a professor down at Asbury Theological Seminary and Asbury College, would say it this way, prevenient grace provides the link between human depravity and the universal call. And that is a theological statement in the sense that grace is available to each and every one of us. It is not limited to those whom God foreknew and chose ahead of time. That's what we believe. And this idea of prevenient grace is what makes it possible. God stirring our hearts. God waking us up to our sinfulness. Waking us up to the need for something more than we thought we ever knew or something that we needed was possible. Thomas Oden, who is an author and a theologian himself, put it well when he said this, the divine will always go before or prevenes, he leads the way for the human will so that the human will may choose freely in accord with the divine will. In other words, left to our own devices, we might not be able to choose the right way because of our sinfulness, because of being born into that. Some missionaries were once kind of put in their place when they were speaking to a crowd of Africans in Africa. And it's summed up by this. A missionary was lecturing to these Africans about how the missionaries had brought the gospel to Africa. And one African believer stood up and interrupted and said this. The missionaries did not bring the gospel to Africa. God brought the missionaries to Africa. God proceeded. God was there. God was stirring up. God was making a way. And in Wesleyan theology, in our theology, we believe that this prevenient grace is what makes it accessible, what makes God accessible to us. But then there's also, from prevenient grace, there's also this justifying grace. And we could read about that in several places in the New Testament. I could turn your attention to Romans chapter 3, and I've been referencing that a lot through this series. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 24, it says this, Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Jesus Christ when He freed us from the penalty for our sins. In, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, it would talk about us being new creations. The old has gone and the new has come. And there's some other verses in the New Testament that talk about this. And I'd like to draw your attention to one more, and that is in Titus. And it's chapter 3. Titus 3 and verse 7, and it says this. 
Because of his grace, he declared us righteous and gave us confidence that he will inherit, that we will inherit eternal life. This idea of God's justifying grace is exhibited because once our hearts are stirred, once we become aware of our need for salvation, once we become aware that we can't do it on our own, we also need God's grace to be extended so that we can be made right. Justification. If you were writing a paper, some of you like to use a typewriter or use a computer nowadays, to write a paper, right? And if you go full justification in writing a paper, right? you go full justification, everything is neat all the way around. You've been justified to the margins. It's the idea of justification, of being made right in relation to who God is. And it is God's grace that allows us to be made right. And one of the things that we should be reflecting on as we hear that this morning is, in what ways do I need to be made right? In what ways... Do I need to be an experiencing God's justification, His justifying grace this morning? Because it's available. It's freely available to you. We don't have to live in fear. That was one of the great things that John Wesley used to say about God's grace is it provides us assurance. We don't have to live in fear that somehow we're not right. Go back to Romans 3.24. It says, we have been made right according to Jesus Christ. There is assurance in God's grace. So we have provenient grace. And we also have God's justifying grace. And then we also then move into what we call God's sanctifying grace. It is the grace that moves us into a life that He calls us to live. Sanctification. The process of being made more and more like Him. If you like to turn with me to Philippians, we'll read a little bit from Philippians, the second chapter, where God is working through his servant, Paul, and he's talking about this idea of grace, Philippians 2 and verse 12, and it says this, dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Another translation would say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. God's grace is available to us as we work through the process of being made into His likeness. God's grace is not something where we presume upon it, punch a ticket, and then just expect it to cover us for the rest of our lives. That's not how God's grace works. We are to be working out our salvation with fear and with trembling. Over in chapter 3 of the same book, in verse 10, it would say this, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised Him from the dead. I want to suffer with Him, sharing In His death. Sanctification, the process of becoming more like Christ, is a process that transforms us to become like Him, who He is, in His nature, in His character. That is our calling as Christians. We're not here just to be saved. 
We are here to be like Christ, to spread the gospel of the kingdom of God around the globe. In our families, in our communities, in our church, anywhere God would take us. Sanctification is the process that we go through. Over in, back to the gospel according to John, in the 14th chapter, in verse 12, it would say this. I tell you the truth, this is Jesus speaking. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I am going to be with my Father. We aren't just saved to remain the same. We aren't just saved to be who we are in our sinfulness, but we've just got a ticket now that, that covers all. We are saved to be like Christ, to become His disciples, to be made to do the same things that He did. And this is the idea behind God's sanctifying grace. It takes His prevenient grace to awaken us, to become aware to our need. It takes His justifying grace to make us right with Him. And then it takes His sanctifying grace to fill us to the fullness of becoming holy and just like Him. All three of these things work together for His glory and for His goodness. If you've been around here for any period of time, you know that I read a lot of an author by the name of Dallas Willard, and he is now passed uh, for several years, but I really do like to quote a lot of his work. And one of the things that he does, uh, he says often in many of his books, is this key phrase, and it says this, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. A lot of times we take God's grace for granted. Like, just God, do it for me. Fill me up. Just kind of do this thing on my behalf. And we just kind of expect God to just do it all. And to, an certain, to a certain extent, that's what God's prevenient grace is. Right? We couldn't come to Him without that, right? But once we are beginning to walk in this journey of faith, this sanctifying grace, there is effort that needs to be expended on our part. And there is a joy in the partnership that comes with that. What's the difference between effort and earning? Think about this. What's the difference? Dallas Willard would say, and I would agree, that earning is an attitude. There's this sense for those who believe that I deserve God's grace, that I've earned it, that I've done my part, I've filled some, I've checked a box or whatever it is, and God's grace, I deserve God's grace, I've earned something. But that's not how God's grace works. We can't earn His grace, but we can definitely put some effort into becoming more like Him through the various spiritual disciplines, through prayer, through the reading of Scripture, through giving, through generosity, through many, a meditation, through silence, through being alone with God. There are many different ways that we can expend some effort to grow in this relationship of discipleship, of becoming like Jesus Christ. Grace is not opposed to that kind of effort. But grace is always going to be opposed to any sense that I deserve it. Or that God owes me something. That's earning grace. And that is against what Scripture says. For it is by grace that you have been saved. And this through faith. It is a gift of God. So that none of us 
can boast. I can't boast that God's done something for me that He hasn't done for you or won't do for you. Because I didn't do anything to earn it. God did everything for me. He drew me to Him. He justified me. And He's making me into His image. And He can do the same thing for each of us. There are ways, aren't there, that we pervert or we presume upon God's grace. Paul would talk about this in his letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 6. And he would say it so eloquently. Should I just go on sinning? Should I just keep doing the wrong stuff so that God's grace can abound? Don't I love God's grace? Isn't it a beautiful thing? So should I just kind of go on, keep doing my own stuff, doing my own thing so that grace can abound? What does he say? Help me out. Help me out. No, by no means, right? I mean, absolutely not. We're not going to just go on, keep doing our own stuff and presuming upon God. That is just not how it works. Let me read for you from a little-known book. Some of you might not ever turn there. In Jude, it says this. In Jude 4, and there are no chapters, so it's verse 4. It says this. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. That was Jude writing centuries, centuries, centuries ago. But doesn't that sound like it could be written today? People that have come along and tried to say that God's grace is so big and so wide and so awesome and all that, that you, you know what, you just kind of do what you got to do, live your way because God loves us and He'll cover us. He's got it. It's subtle. It's deceptive. Yes, God's grace is available to every one of us. And He loves us deeply. But once we've encountered it, Once we know it, once we experience God's love, we are compelled to demonstrate it, to show it, to give it back out to others. We are compelled in our lives. James would say, faith without works is dead. It's not that works draw us to Christ, but it's that works become the evidence of the faith that is at work within our hearts, souls, and minds. That's God's grace sanctifying us, making us in to who He has called us to be. God is gracious. God is loving. His grace is freely available to everyone. And it makes a difference. Fundamentally, theologically, it makes a difference. Doctrinally, we believe that it is freely available to everyone. There is no limit to His grace. Anyone can come to Him. Anyone can experience a transformation. Anyone can experience His love and mercy. And as our hearts are transformed, as our lives begin to become awakened to His love and to His mercy, we begin to change. How do we access God's grace? How do we experience this wonderful divine attribute of God's grace? 
We experience it through faith. We have to come to Christ in faith because there's a lot of question marks. I get it. There's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of digging into Scripture or things that might not make sense to us, all that kind of... But there is a faith. I stand before you and I declare that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. I declare to you that He lived a sinless life. I declare to you that He died for all of our sins. I declare that He rose again. I declare that He did that so that He could wipe away the penalty for sin so that we could have access to Him as our Messiah, as our Savior. I declare all of those things to you because I believe them. And if I believe them, then by faith I'm asking you to believe them as well. And that will begin your journey into experiencing this wonderful attribute of God we call His grace. The grace that will awaken your soul to say there's more to this life. There's more to what I'm going through. There's more to my struggle. There's more out there. And you begin to explore and God will justify us. we got a lot of things that we need to be justified from. A lot of stuff that we're dealing with. Besetting sins, the old timers would say, right? Stuff that just kind of sits there all the time and it's just kind of like, I can't quite overcome it. It's, it's like this bad habit and I'm trying to break it, but I keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. How do I get over it? By faith, we come to Christ and we ask Him, God, would you graciously help me overcome this? And then we surround ourselves with each other and we encourage one another and we offer each other accountability for this journey and we work through sanctifying ourselves to become, like we don't sanctify ourselves, but we work through the journey, right, of God sanctifying us to become more like Him. And it is a journey by faith. It is by grace. And grace alone that you have been saved. Through faith. And it is the ultimate gift of a gracious and loving God. So this morning, I want us to just close with an opportunity. I'll invite the worship team to come forward and they're going to play for us and give you a chance to reflect because we don't want to rush through any moments that the Lord is speaking to you or working on your heart. Take some time. Be in this moment. I know you got plans this afternoon. I, I get that. And I know you got some things going on this week. And I know you had some experiences yesterday that you're still processing and you're a little worried about how that went. But right now, take stock of where you are and be fully present in this moment. Because I firmly believe that Jesus Christ, through His Holy Spirit, is present with us in this moment. And He's speaking to you. I started the prayer for our worship team this morning with, God, we're listening. And I would encourage you to say that quietly to yourself, to God. God, I'm listening. What's going on in my life? For I need to experience your unmerited favor. Would you speak to me now?
Lord Jesus, as we take this time to reflect and to ponder and to consider, I just ask that your spirit would move upon us in ways that we would discern, move upon us in ways that we would understand. You have an uncanny ability to get right to the heart of it in each of our lives in our own unique ways. And I just thank you for that moment that we can have right now. For we know that you are gracious toward us. In Jesus' name.